The Cannabis Conversation. A European perspective on the emerging legal cannabis industry. Welcome back to the Cannabis Conversation. Thanks again for joining me. I hope you've been enjoying the series so far. I've had some really good feedback, so thank you all for your kind words. I'd like to give a big shout-out to Ira Banerjee, who's been helping me with my social media. I'm no expert in this area, so that's very much needed. Uh, So thank you very much, Ira. Uh, I've got a great show for you coming up. Now we're turning our attention to hemp, what it is and what it can be used for, and, and the fantastic benefits to the environment that come with it. So let's get cracking. Hope you enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back to the Cannabis Conversation. Today I have Steve Barron on the show. Steve is CEO of Margent Farm in Cambridgeshire, which is a hemp farm. And Steve certainly walks the walk because the farmhouse at Margent is made entirely from hemp. Steve has a great backstory starting in entertainment, but is now focusing on hemp production and is a passionate advocate for its use as an industrial material. He's the ideal person to help us understand what hemp is and how we could use it in the future. Steve, welcome. Thank you. So before we jump into your personal journey into the the world of hemp, can you just give us a bit of a 101 on hemp, what it is and how it differs from marijuana? Yes. Yeah, the term hemp is really... uh... It refers to the uses of the plant, uh, and in, in particular in, in history it's been really called industrial hemp because it, its uses are for uh, products and for uh, materials. It's been, it's been used in things like uh, for rope and construction materials, paper and, and so on, and that is really the hemp side of things. Uh, it's a number of strains of the cannabis sativa plant that provide the materials for that are under the umbrella of industrial hemp. In itself, it is one of the oldest food crops and the old, one of the oldest fabrics that you know has been, has been used on this planet uh, by humans. And in terms of how it differs from marijuana, uh, marijuana is generally the uh, cannabis indica plant, although sativa as well because of crossbreeding. But it's all become a bit of a mishmash. But basically, you can measure in the type of strain you have a very low content of thc with hemp thc which which will get you high whereas with hemp you're really dealing with a a plant that has maximum 0.2 percent of that of that high and you'd have to smoke the whole field (laughs) and uh you probably get sicker before you got high so so essentially hemp is a low thc content variation of the plant yeah there's high there's a at least a hundred strains of the cannabis plant, and you know many of them are just don't have the THC in, and then there's hundreds of strains of you know of the marijuana plants because they've all been made and doctored over the years. Sure, that's good to know. And where and how is hemp farmed? Is it is it the same sort of conditions as marijuana, or is there kind of specialist? Uh, attention and different ways of treating it? It'll grow in different ways in different parts of the world and certain strains will fare better in warmer climates, Mediterranean climates or whatever and others others will fare very well in northern European climates. You know, perhaps you'll get three and a half metres of a, of a certain type of industrial hemp plant growing in Thailand because of the amount of sunshine hours and things. And, and, and that same strain might also work for Northern Europe, but it, it would only maybe give you two and a half metres of, of growth. Right. 
Following on from that, in the way that, as you said at the top, hemp is, is mainly used as a material, but in a number of different ways. Are there different varieties of hemp that are bred for rope versus fabric versus other types of material? Well, it's really, it's, it's spent the last 80 80 years kind of as an ostracized plant because of its cousin, because it's marijuana cousin. So it's been kind of not studied and uh, and really in the way that other plants have. But definitely there are strains that have a better tensile strength, which so straight away you can get this stronger tensile strength, longer fiber that will suit much better for rope, will suit much better for any fibre composites. It's all being studied at the moment. We're working with Cambridge University on a, a number of different projects at the moment, and that part of that is really the going down to the molecular level and seeing what it's all about as a plant. So we don't know. We don't know so much about mm. it. But we do know that, yes, the right variety will give you great rope. It will give you a, an alternative plastic. It's got real, a certain, a certain strain will have a, a real high content of cellulose, which is the building block for plastic. Uh, and then others will have more CBD content for can- cannabidiol and, and its uses, which are fantastic in terms of a food supplement. supplement. Mm. Yeah, we've talked on a previous show about CBD and its um, its potential, but equally it's sort of unknown cure-all sales and marketing spiel that's been bandied around. So it's uh, it, we were starting to kind of understand a bit more about it. There's a few things that you said which were really interesting. One of them is that hemp similar to marijuana has been understudied because of the, the prohibition of the intoxicating variety. And so that's really interesting to see that hemp has similarly been held back in, in the same way. What's going on with the Cambridge study that you mentioned? Got, we got together with the, uh, the Darshul Shah, Dr. Darshul Shah, the head of natural materials um, innovation at Cambridge University under the architecture wing at Cambridge which is uh, looking into different different materials for building and uh, so we got together and we started developing initially actually a camera case which is on our Instagram thing at the moment and uh, is is an alternative with a similar strength to fiberglass for it's, a, it's an alternative for the products electrical products or uh, things like hoovers or whatever that, that don't need the strength of carbon fiber and don't want to be one of those horrible plastics that uh, are contaminating our seas and universe. So that is the aim with the uh, with with what we're doing. We've also got another few projects with them. I can't talk about it yet, but we will be uh, we will be getting onto <laughs> a very exciting real study of this plant and what it can do. And we're working with uh, somebody who's worked with natural material, Tim Sweatman, for a number of years in the Cambridge area producing product for a Mayfair sustainability centre at the moment and also for our house that we're building. We've used the inside of the hemp plant for uh, the, the insulation value and of, of hempcrete, which was invented 25, 30 years ago, we believe, in France by a woman who'd used it for her building. It's, it's a great, not fully structural version of concrete, like a breeze block that comes together as, as hempcrete. And we've used it in our farmhouse for insulation and, and the structural part of it comes by putting it into, prefabricating it into wooden sustainable cassettes. So it's poured into that, it's so, it solidifies with a, an addition of a little lime and it uh, crystallizes and becomes this super insulating 
building. So what we've done is, and that's been done before, but we happen to have grown our own. And sorry, it's called Hempcrete. Yes, Hempcrete is its is its name. Sure. And uh, a lot of people have used it. I mean, even on Grand Designs, they built some things on it. Uh, in in this country, far less than say France, which is right. way ahead of it. And even parts around there's buildings around the Black Sea that are made of hempcrete. You know, they have this amazing value in it. So our farmhouse is built out of that. And then we decided that we wanted to go one step further and actually clad the farmhouse in the fibers from the outside of the plant. So we, we took those and used some technology that's been developed in the car manufacturing world to, to put those fibers together with a bioresin from farm waste, which is consists of uh, oat hulls and uh, bagasse, a form of farm sugar and the whole thing is then compressed in our, in our case in a tool that is a corrugated shape so we've ended up with a corrugated farmhouse that looks like a sort of semi-industrial but definitely a farm type building which is basically a recreation of the plant on the big scale because <laughs> it has all the, the inside of the plant is the insulation and the outside is the cladding of the Fantastic. house so it's kind of I think it's a little bit revolutionary we were given by Grand Designs the accolade uh, Kevin's Green Heroes by Kevin McLeod for this year. So in May, they're um, they're launching their Grand Designs Live and we've been showcased there Brilliant. with this new product, which we hope to get out there and get people to, to use as an alternative for plastic, obviously, for, for bitumen, which is uh, very commonly used on roofs and garages and aluminium or for uh, any kind of steel corrugation, that we could get something with this strength that Brilliant. for cladding. That's really... that's. A- Congratulations on Thank the uh, the accolade. So just to sort of recap, I suppose your so it adds to the strength of the material in terms of the fundamental strength of of the building material. Has it also got um, kind of environmental benefits in relation to CO two and things yes. like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean the figures uh, for for sequestering CO two are are really fantastic where because it grows so fast it has 100 days of growing so you plant it and you know with little or no water unless you're in a really hot climate you are then growing for 100 days this thing will grow for 100 days and give you two and a half three three and a half meters depending on your strain and in that time what it's doing is it's you know one hectare of industrial hemp will absorb approximately 15 tonnes of CO2, uh, making it one of the fastest CO2 to biomass conversion tools in existence. So CO2 per hectare, hemp will absorb more annually than any other commercial crop or commercial forestry. Wow. So, I mean, that is an enormous advantage up front. In fact, that's what made me want to get a hemp farm. Because I was looking, really searching for something to help give back to what my generation environmentally have done to get some of it back for my granddaughter. And that was that was my motivation to come into this. And uh, uh, and I went looking around and uh, this friend of mine sort of brought up hemp as a possibility, in particular with human health. Then uh, researching it and learning more about it and getting together with um, Joe McGann at uh, Hempen in Oxfordshire, um, who was already growing, and learning from him a lot and and research about how much this plant can give apart, you know, from the very moment of growing made me think, right, well, I don't know quite what I'm going to do, but I'm going to get a farm and I'm going to start growing because straight away I'm doing it rather than talking about it, helping get those steps back towards uh, where we all need to go to yeah. have a, a planet that uh, we haven't 
mucked up. So there's a real sustainability kind of drive and yeah. to to your hemp kind of mission, which yes. is which is great. So a lot of interesting things there. Um, I I heard and uh, correct me if I'm wrong that after the Chernobyl disaster in the 80s that they planted hemp around that site because it's very good at. Yeah, I heard that as well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I didn't verify that. I don't. I didn't meet any Russians that said, "Yeah, we did yeah. that." But it sounds like. I mean, the tap roots on the plant are go down way down. So you would think. I, I can see how that's working up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to absorb all kinds of stuff. So nitri- yeah. nitrogen and possi- possibly all the all the bad stuff. All the bad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense. I guess the main thing that I think would probably interest a lot of people, given it's kind of high profile as a topic at the moment, is is around plastic and finding alternatives. Can you talk a bit more about that area of, yeah. of hemp and the research and the work that you're doing in that area? Yes. Uh, it turned out, and I, I didn't realize this, but I looking into it, I found that the EU, in particular the European car auto trade and industry, were using quite a lot of natural fibers because they found them to be lighter, cheaper, and um, and therefore save gas and, and go towards what their legislation was saying. You cannot just keep producing this stuff that gets thrown on the trash. So it wasn't even that environmental a, a, a you know a constraint for them. It was more they would save money out of doing it this way. <laughs> But uh, the Mercedes C-Class and all kinds of auto companies actually made hemp and flax inlays into the doors, into the panels, into the trunks of cars. And that has been going on for 15 years. Wow. Now, who knew that? I didn't know that. And they didn't want to advertise it, possibly because they felt it was, uh, you know, obviously cheap as wood. Well, achieving material, but it was more that, you know, your customer, you can't tell your customer your car is actually made of straw. <laughs> and you can't tell your customer that its cousin will get you high. Those two things. So you can see how, uh, you know, and hemp was really ostracized. So it wasn't something that they were ever going to shout about. But it was it was basically, it had been developed in Europe. So I thought, well, but it's been hidden and nobody's used it and, and shouted about it and gone about it that way. So I thought, let's get the message out there. And this is why we came up with this corrugated product straight away, because we thought if we can show that we can use it for cladding and say it is hemp instead of saying, you know, hiding the fact that it's natural and, and have, we're, we're saying it is. So that's our that's kind of our job as a farm and a brand that we've set up, Margin Farm, which is to really shout about how good this plant is for us yeah. and how we need to lord it and we need to grow it and we need to keep studying it now and put it back into uh, our human society, which it used to be in 8,000 years ago. They're still finding in India temples that are made of hemp that are that have what is now called hempcrete but you know have those breeze blocks sort of forms of yeah in, in in temples they built and they're still standing now fantastic it's good that you're promoting this now more loudly have you found that the the general perception of it is changing Yes. I mean, since we started, as I said, bought the farm just over two years ago and started growing in that first season. Since then, and at that time, everyone, the perception was, I mean, straight away my kids were thought I was having a midlife crisis. My friends all thought I was turning into a drug lord. <laughs> um, and so there was that whole perception. You'd always get that little smirk, that smile, even from people who smoke weed. Me I'm doing this to... podcast is, uh, is my midlife crisis. So. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, the perception has definitely changed in those couple of years. What's happened is 
the CBD knowledge about CBD has grown amazingly and and far and wide. So suddenly it's like people saying, okay, that uh, that plant's got other things and and it's got other enzymes that 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 could be really useful. Uh, then it's you know it, alongside that those companies like Planet Organic and all the health food shops getting hemp seeds that give you a tremendous amount of omega-369 and, and protein. That is all was happening as people were getting a bit more health savvy, even in the last few years. And then alongside that, along comes David Attenborough, and he mm-hmm. does that program about plastics. And that has changed the world. Yeah. I mean, that program alone, I mean, he deserves everything we can give him because nothing could have changed it that fast, I except an emotional impact, widely watched impact from uh, an amazing piece of cinematography and and thought process that we're we're putting back to everyone without blaming and shaming, but like just saying, you know, this is beautiful. Do we want it to be with us? Do you want it to be with your kids? Because it's not going to be mm. if you carry on living the way we live and we have to change so that realization on a much bigger scale it was obviously there it's been there for, you know for many years and many decades there was many advocates of it and um, soldiers of change and uh, environmental issues but you know now it's really widespread it's the kids coming out of their classrooms uh, mm-hmm. age five six seven knowing that plastics are bad yeah i mean that is amazing and it's been once it's gone into the education system you know that is a, a tremendous step forward so i'd say in the last couple of years it's moved amazingly the perception has changed so now i talk about hemp and people are like cool i hear it's great for planet i hear it's great for cbd i hear it's this, I hear it's that. And, and that is very exciting that it can happen that quickly. And uh, so it's kind of changing what what we need to do and we need and how we need to say it and yeah. things because it's moving. That's a good message. And glad to hear that Attenborough was a, a real catalyst for this. I mean, he's so revered that and it's such a well-made program that I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah. Even my six-year-old is lecturing me on use of plastic. So good. it's great to... Uh, it's great to great to hear that. One of the things I probably should have asked you a bit earlier is so it's clear that that margin farms is kind of de- developing hemp from a material perspective. But is the plant able to be used for CBD as well, or is it one or the other that generally happens in the process? Uh, unfortunately, we've got a real problem with CBD in in the world generally at the moment, which is that and nobody quite knows from uh, the government level what why it's so good and why people are finding it so useful in their in their lives and so they're they're a bit worried about it and they're also a bit wanting to get involved in it so right now as a farmer and there are obviously a a lot of farmers in this country and farming is a really difficult occupation that you know is weather weather dependent and market dependent and you have to make all these decisions and you know you can come under heavy bombardment from from insects to environment to to whatever you know what we've really discovered with or what i've just discovered with farming is that farmers are treated so badly i mean it just makes no sense this law exists you have to get a license to grow hemp mm-hmm. uh, so I, I i went ahead and applied for that license and got that license and it's a three-year license and it costs 500 pounds mm-hmm. and it says you can grow industrial hemp you must you know be careful that people don't think it's the wrong 
level of THC and you must keep it below 0.2 THC and then you can grow it and then you can uh, get the seeds off it and use that for oil or you can get the seeds off it and you know let them go to uh, protein or any any other food um, and you can use the fibers and you can take the fibers off and do what you you want to do with your uh, making of mattresses or whatever you're going to do with it construction materials but you must take the flour chop it off and destroy it and not process it keep it use it in any way and not extract cbd from it and not extract anything from it which is absolutely crazy so it's um, a huge amount of waste then it's, it's a huge part, quite apart from the it's, it's madness a, of it it's a waste because we can import it i mean i i can buy it in this country but i can't i'm not allowed to extract it unless i get into a pharma license a pharmaceutical license mm-hmm. i mean ph pharma yeah that then you you have a license to to take thc you have the license to take cbd which is a di- you know can be a completely different plant yeah so you know the holy grail for farmers undoubtedly for the value of a crop and the way to get this crop grown and to you know really have it spread across the country which it needs to do for all the reasons we've said mm. the way to do that is to have it a cash crop have a value now there isn't enough value in the fiber there isn't enough value in the shy there's value for people using them but for the farmer you'd have to farm on quite a big scale so it's like ten thousand acres in this country there's four million acres of wheat in mm. being farming in this country ten thousand of hemp because financially you can't get the balance yeah. of that if you had the cbd it would be worth far more than wheat right it would be Hundreds of thousands of acres right. would be grown in this country, which would be doing, you know, giving our CO2 mm-hmm. a good battering. And uh, it, it would make total sense for for farmers financially and in every way. And it's not allowed. So anyway, we're, you know, with everybody else alongside the, the uh, British Hemp Association and everything, uh, we're all lobbying the government and saying it's not fair. That is not fair on farmers. By everyone's complying with the 0.2% of THC, we're not talking about growing marijuana, where you've taken away the f- a food essential from a crop, and we have to destroy it. That's just mm-hmm. bad. Very frustrating. Yeah. Very frustrating, and uh, not providing the right incentives to, to produce a crop no. that would be very useful and beneficial for the environment. Yeah. Well, it's really good to, to hear that point of view, because I'm sure I didn't know that stuff, so I'm, I'm yeah. assuming it'll be useful. So are there any kind of crazy uses of hemp that you've, you know, as a material that you've kind of come across? Because, I mean, maybe hempcrete sounds a bit crazy to a lot of people, but as you say, it's been used for a long time and, and, and yeah. possibly from many hundreds of thousands of years ago. Are there any kind of new modern uses that people are looking at? Well, I think that's more the development of the plastics. That's more what we're doing with Cambridge and the factory in Huntingdon. That is what we're finding out really how far to go with the fiber we've given we've given some of the uh, hemp mat that we grew to for instance to ben ainsley's team for the america's yacht because they feel that the potential for it inside the hull the carbon fiber hull it could t- it could reduce the amount of carbon fiber they use which they'd love to reduce it actually sucks the uh, resin through the system it draws the resin oh. so so which is a, a very useful for them that's one thing uh, we've done we've done a seat a hemp seat for a go-kart company that works really well 
and uh, we're looking at all kinds of things. We've been approached by quite a lot of interesting designers to, as for collaborations, for different products, surfboard fins. You know, what there there is uh, endless possibilities. It's actually there's way more than we could sit here. I'm and sure. List. I'm yeah. sure. So you've laid out the benefits uh, so well. What do, you, what do you see as the real challenges and hurdles? One of them you mentioned is the kind of just the simple economics of incentivizing people to to grow the crop. But what, what are the other kind of hurdles that to, to wide scale adoption? The, the hurdles in this country are the technology and the uh, yeah the industrialization of it. And in France, for instance, they can produce those mats, those work non woven mats at a at a really great rate for the car. Or auto world, and we've got nothing like that in the UK. We've got no company that really can get to that sort of level of production. We've got a number of mills up in Yorkshire, some really great people actually who, who own mills who have certain could come with the help of the government towards that. They have parts of that process, but not all of it. So that, that it's getting together and, and saying and committing to it because mm-hmm. if we have the technology, we can obviously make it all cheaper i mean one of the barriers for it to replacing plastic is that we are addicted as a society we're addicted to cheap plastic we've we've come up with this thing which is amazing which is terrible for our environment in its process and it's in its end of life Mm. both ends of it are terrible in the middle it's great we love it it's cheap you go to a you buy it for 99p in a pound store we've got to get off of that addiction and that is a, that's one of the biggest barriers we've got where we have to live life differently. We have to treasure what we buy more and buy good stuff for the right reasons that has been made and can be disposed of in the right way. And we've got to pay a little bit more for it. But if we care for it a bit more, we'll do it. Like the, the plastic bags, we're paying for plastic bags because you think, okay, well, I understand why I'm doing that and I shouldn't be doing this, so I'm paying for it. We have to get that now across the globe so that it's a slightly different way of living we're all going to be doing it's like, you know because we're so used to the consumer with the cheap deal and we we have to get off that if we don't get off that we'll never replace plastic but and what's what stands in its way is is the price of it it's mm. going to be more expensive it, it's you know it's not as easy a process it's a natural process so but we can definitely replace it if we all choose to so kind of this economies of scale issue in terms of cost, yeah. but equally a, a kind of change in approach and mindset and how we value goods and things that make our life easier. Yeah, Certainly with young kids, I'm often telling my kids that they need to look after their stuff a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that applies to adults as well as yeah. as kids as well. Um, so that, yeah, it's really uh, good to, to understand the sort of barriers that are holding it back. But it, it sounds that you are having lots of interesting conversations and if, you know, very esteemed organisations as Cambridge University and I'm sure lots of other people are taking it very seriously. This, this all bodes well for the future, I would say. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I think everybody or everybody we're coming across is 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 on the right track there. How can we help? How can it work? How can we make it work? We don't have all the answers and there's going to be a number of years of transition. Lego have just recently they've scrapped a factory, a plastic factory and built spent 150 million dollars on building a factory that now makes their bricks out of natural. Wow. Uh, natural materials out of plants. So, you know, when you get bigger companies to do it, they you've got to get the ones that care enough to afford it because yeah. it is a, a hit 
that they're going to take. But they're obviously a very hugely wealthy company and they've gone for it. And, you know, that's great to hear. Really good. And yeah, as you say, it kind of sets an example to, to everyone else yeah. and it makes you more open to the idea. So, yeah, good on Lego for doing that. Cool. So one of the things that I've been sort of focusing on on the show is is people's story into cannabis in general, but in your case, hemp in particular. You've got a very interesting backstory. So would you mind sharing a bit about it and how I know you still do some of your um, entertainment work, but what kind of prompted you really to, to look at this new, it's very uh, big yeah, question, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Well, yeah, I'm from the the film and TV world. I've I've done quite a few as a director, films over the years, and television things. And I and can I just say, directed the Billie Jean video. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I had yeah. to get that in there. Yeah, I, I just spent the '80s doing music videos, which was amazing. And then I got asked to do features, feature films, and I ended up doing some mad films like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, and Coneheads and, and some odd ones and then TV like Merlin and the Durrells and things over the over the, quite a period of time. And what what I felt was, because I think, you know, as each decade comes along, you get to your 30s, you get to your 40s, you get to your 50s. When I got to 60, which was a few years ago, I said, I what, what am I doing for the next 10 years? What, what am I, what does this all mean, you know, now... Am I going to repeat the last 10 years and the 10 years before, which I've enjoyed, but I felt like I wanted to move across on a different road. And in particular, my daughter had a daughter. And I looked at this granddaughter and I thought, why? I mean, it was just kind of messed with my head. And I thought, I saw it from a different point of view. What's the world she's going to be living in? And what have I done towards it? And I thought, well, what I've done is nothing towards the stuff that our generation has obviously deteriorated this planet. And I thought I couldn't spend the next 10 years not trying to reverse some of that. And so that was, you know, that was really motivation for a beginning. Very inspiring, actually. Did you find it challenging to begin with? It's quite hard at any stage to sort of change. Yeah, very, very challenging. I knew nothing about farming. I knew nothing about manufacture. What I knew was that from my world in in film i i used to in when i did well in films and, and videos and things when i had success i'd often taken a risk i'd often done something that i didn't know about i'd often entered the unknown and though sometimes they were the biggest successes i had mm-hmm. where I, I went where you know i kind of into a unique spot so i thought I, I, if i apply that to this and go for farming i'd find people because again, in filmmaking, you bring you build a team around you, and you go for people that are obviously better than you at what they do. Because then you you're going to learn from them, and the the end product's going to be better. So I I've just built a team really around me, and the project managers is Mike Redford and Catherine Brown. Mike has his own organic farm. So all around me, farmers were saying you you can't go organic because. Yeah, it's a waste of money. You, you, it's just too expensive to be organic. Your crop will be tiny and it'll be destroyed. And and and, and Mike stood throughout it and said, "No, we're going to convert to organic." So this year, our third year, we are organic. We're an organic farm, and mm-hmm. and I love that he also told me and taught me and said, "Look, if you put a margin around your farm uh, of say six meters, then wildlife 
that doesn't want to live in the hedge and it doesn't want to be in the crop or the or the soil that uh, has been farmed. Yeah, but it has got nowhere to go. So it's got all these fields with nowhere for it to to exist. And so we put margins around all our, our farms. That's why we call margin farm because right. it's Shakespeare word for margin. So you know those those sort of bits of inspiration on the way. I very quickly went to Cambridge University because they were only just up the road in Cambridgeshire. So I just thought, even though I didn't know anybody, but a friend of a friend knew somebody in sustainability there. I didn't even know they had a sustainability. Uh, leadership program where well, we went there and were greeted with open arms about the study of it and so it's been really even though I've known nothing about it the people that have jumped in around have uh, you know more than made up for my ignorance it's fantastic yeah really inspiring I think with career change it is a step into the unknown but good good to understand that how important the people are around you are to yeah. sort of helping you with that so I think you alluded to it a bit before, but sort of coming towards the end, did you did you get any funny reactions from any people? I think you said earlier when, yeah, when yeah. you said I'm I'm going moving into hemp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. They, they, that was the first your immediate friends. You say, look, I'm I, I'm going to buy this farm. I'm going I'm going to get a license and I'm going to could be growing hemp. And then you know I was literally got this license by being checked out by the police and it being uh, being something that uh, you know have I ever been busted for drugs before because I won't get a license. I mean, anyway, they were amazed because they, you know, they, they thought I'd become, yeah, they thought I was entering in into a new field and be, becoming a narcos. They thought it <laughs> came to mind. And uh, yeah, we, you know, it had some mad stuff on the way. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I live in a flat in Barbican uh, with the farm where the house is still not quite finished, although it's livable now. I more often in the Barbican doing my, day job as it were and when we first ordered the seeds we ordered a, t- a ton of the uh the hemp seeds once we got the license and uh, they accidentally got delivered to my flat in the barbican so all my neighbors were like uh hemp it's by this by the ton <laughs> comes into my flat it was supposed to go to the farm but anyway that's great yeah i mean Certainly the genesis of this show is to pick up on the fact that it's much more in the public consciousness. And and as you say, things are moving fairly quickly because things are happening at different paces all around the world, which is sort of moving everyone on in general. So it's really good. I guess finally, do you have any advice for anyone that's interested in finding out more about this? And Well, I mean, I suppose the advice is about hemp. It has so many possibilities, I think, just... Just try and be creative with it. Um, be prepared that there's a really there's a lot of elements to it. If you're going to grow it, it's a crop that you just need the right agronomist and the right people advising. You know how to get the best out of it. Farming is very tough. It's not fair on farmers. My advice is, if the law changes, then that's the time to uh, to jump in financially in, into hemp, which obviously we're all hoping it does in terms of it being a crop that you can get CBD off. Because as I think I said, but, you know, the real Holy Grail is a is a crop that can give you that CBD, that can give you the fibre and give you the shive for construction and the leaves for tea and, and you're using the whole plant and you're really able to take that whole plant and get the best out of it. And financially, that is the way... You know, the way forward. Sorry, it? just yeah. to, to ask, what yeah. is what is the shive? Shive is the, the centre of the plant, which is the woody core. Oh, okay. So the fibres are on the outside, mm-hmm. 
and the woody core is on the inside, right. which is where a lot of the cellulose is. And that's you separate the two. You you end up because the fibers can be used for clothing and for woven mats or non-woven mats. And then inside is this. It usually goes to farm waste. I actually use it for horse bedding or um, you know animals. There's comfy spots, <laughs> as it were, or or it goes to gets chucked back onto the land for to for nutrition. But it um, it often is is wasted. But when using it for hempcrete, they're building a house in Scotland, a house in Devon. As a hempcrete houses going up as we speak, so that is great. Often they're buying that shive, that centre of the plant from France. Right, which is a bit crazy. We should be getting it all yeah, from yeah, yeah. all from the UK. I'd go to uh, an other advice. I'd go to the BHA website, which is the British Hemp Association. They they just are you know they, they talk a lot of sense, and we're you know as a group of farmers, we're trying to uh, get legislation changed. And anyone who can help support that would be amazing. Cool, great advice. Lovely. I hope it's uh, inspired uh, people to find out more. And I think the sustainability and the ecological angle is is so compelling that no doubt we'll hear much more about hemp in the kind of public consciousness to, to come. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Steve, for your time today. It's been really, really good to chat. And I'm, I'm sure everyone got a lot from that show. Great. Thank you so much. And cool. thanks for caring and being interested and in, in your time. Pleasure. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Bye. So thanks for joining me for that show. I hope you enjoyed it. I found it particularly inspiring speaking to Steve there. And I love the angle that he came from of why he got into hemp. Um, and I think it hopefully shows that it's never too late to try and do something different with your life. Please check out the website in the next couple of days. I'll be putting up show notes and the transcript if you want to revisit it. And as always, please share, like, rate, review, do all those things uh, as that would be really helpful. Next week's show, we'll be talking specifically about CBD and giving you a bit of advice on what to look out for when you're purchasing your CBD products because there's tons of stuff available and it's not entirely clear what's good and what's not. So I've got a couple of guys that will be uh, pointing out the right things to look out for. Cool. Until next week. Cheers. Bye. Bye.